And we're live, finally. Better late than never. This thing was slow today. I blame Russia and China and India. I'm running out of country, so we're just blaming someone other than me. All right, that's how this works, Nick. It's Angola this month. Oh, it's Angola this month. Why didn't I get the memo? You know, it helps if I check my junk file. I, All I, right. I forgot to hit send. I It was logged up, ready to go. I forgot to pull the trigger. My bad. Well, Katie's not here when we've got Derek, so we're going to blame Katie since she's not here to defend herself. Works for me. That works. I thought you were going to blame me, so I, I was like, well, well you're here, so that gets a little well, awkward. Let's blame Katie. Let's vote on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans. It's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. We are the podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction. So without further ado, if you're listening to our pre-show banter that we, we did before I, I read that lovely introduction, Production, and you're a little bit confused and you found this episode first we also interviewed him about his uh, book that he co-wrote with katie cross so you know if, if you're confused listen to that one too because you know it's worth it it'll all make but, so much sense but in case those those weird people that you know have social lives and things didn't listen to that episode Derek, can you introduce yourself to our listeners and viewers for sure. So um, my name is Derek Sidaway. I run a, right under my full name, Derek Allen Sidaway. I write uh, fast-paced epic fantasy. Um, sometimes I fa say fast-paced epic fantasy with heart, but we cover that in the last episode. So if you want to know about the heart, you can go check that out. But um, basically that means uh, all that stuff that you love about epic fantasy, you know, the world building and the grand scale uh, combined with kind of a, a turn the turn the page, can't put the book down pacing and also underdog characters that you want to root for, even if you don't necessarily like all of them. Um, that's cool. It's, it's fun not to like things, too. No, it's never fun not to like stuff. What, what are you saying? Like, I, you know, I it's, hate it the Jedi. It doesn't make any sense, man. Yes, it does. I hate the Jedi because the Empire was right. It's all about <laughs> peace and stability, man. So it's fun to hate things now? I do not like this time. Well, they're, they're rebel scum. They're rebel scum. It doesn't count. They're freedom fighters. I think it's 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 in vogue to hate things now. Maybe not fun, but it's it's popular. I'm a big fan of the meme that just is always, shh, let people enjoy things. <laughs> right? I mean, I don't care if you enjoy it. You could be wrong. I'm cool with that. Yeah, just as long as it's not hurting anybody. Whatever blows your hair back, I'm cool with it. Oh, hair! I miss you so. So I the next part of the introduction, <laughs> the next part of the introduction is how we first found them. So I met uh, Derek through the lovely Katie Cross, who we interviewed about their book together called "A Spring for Spears." The aforementioned episode you should listen to as well. The book was amazing. I read it, wrote a review for it over on Upstream Reviews, also linked in the show note of that episode. But uh, he mentioned his book, Beast Something. We don't want to spoil it, so we're going to build a suspense. But there were animals involved that ate people's faces. So Nick was like, ooh, eating faces. I'm here. Give me some bath salts and a good Coke. You know, you're not going to fool the listeners because they know I don't drink Coke. I drink bourbon. Oh, I actually was talking about the other kind of Coke. But I mean, sure, we'll go with Coca-Cola. <laughs> I haven't done that since the 90s, and we promised we would never talk about that on air. I think oh, you can use Man, I didn't get that, that memo but... for that. Did you hit send on that memo? No, I don't think I, I might have been high on Coke when I sent it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, Nick. Ask him the religion questions. See if he passes around uh, to I don't know. We let me go to screen number two where I have the Bible opened. Oh not other religion question. Stargate, Battlestar Galactica, or Babylon 5. 
Um, I, I wasn't prepared for this last time. I had a different religion question. We changed I, it up every time. My answer last time was pretty bad, but my answer this time is going to be worse because I'm going to have to go with uh, D, none of the above. What? Okay, what is your favorite uh, that you haven't told us yet? What you can't do that. Can you do that? Yeah, it's, I, it's, I it's in the bylaws. I I, I've 12. never watched any of those, so it, it's not that I dislike them. It's just that I am completely, I guess you could say, agnostic to all of the above. To be honest with you, Derek, I ain't seen a one of them things. I've seen the movie Stargate. I watched the old Battlestar Galactica. And I Babylon watched Stargate 5. in the theaters. Eh, yeah, me too. Good one. That's like Desert Aliens? I'm in. Isn't <laughs> that Dune? I, I'm, yeah, I'm not exactly. very well versed I'm a, in I'm a huge either. fan of Dune. So, you know, I, um, I saw Dune with some buddies. I haven't read the book. That's probably another sin, but my, my big takeaway, I saw it in IMAX and I was just like, there was just so much bass. That was all I took away from that movie is I'm like, my eardrums will never be the same. The, uh, the director's cut for the, uh, the OG 84 version was like four and a half, five hours long and it covered maybe 30 percent of what's in the book that's that's brutal i mean um the book's amazing you, you won't go wrong edition fan of lord yeah. of the rings and believes those are the only ones you can watch and i can get behind that but i don't know you creep into the four hour realm and you start losing me you need an intermission right <laughs> like a, an hour-long intermission yeah let's go out to the lobby you know the <laughs> For those that remember that in movies back in the day in the at the theater, if, if it was because there was a few movies out there that were over the two hour mark and that was considered long, and right around an hour fifteen they they would give you a twenty minute intermission. Back in my day, when movies cost twenty five cents, you know. I feel you. Yeah, long movie. Anyway, on to the uh, uh, second part of the religion question because we're polytheists. After we had our intermission. After we had an intermission of and me talking like old man Nick, and we're back, sort of, kind of, I don't know. Beastmaster, Red Sonia, or the Sword and the Sorcerer? Um, you know, I uh, this is gonna this is gonna sound terrible. I contemplating reading Beastmaster when I was uh, doing my research for Beast Mage, the name of my book. I did not get to it. So again, I'm going to have to say none of the above and hope that I told you, like, JR, you, I, told you I should have bet money. Should have bet money. I was like, I don't know, man. These movies are kind of old, dude. I don't think he's ever seen them. Like so I have much. heard of them. They're, right? they're, they're good. Like, you old people. Say. I've heard about your ancient things. <laughs> and, and Red Sonia, you'll, it's a backdoor sequel to Conan the Barbarian. Oh, okay. Okay. I was going somewhere else with that statement, but yeah, sure. Sequel. <laughs> yeah, or spinoff, backdoor spinoff. I, I don't know. It's a good movie. I liked it, and it was the 80s, and we were all high on coke, and I was like eight, so. I mean, you were just an overachiever, so <laughs> you started, started early. That means if it was the 80s, you were high on new coke, right? Yes. <laughs> coke. Okay. Which didn't all taste right. the same as coke classic, but, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> well, we here at the Blasters and Blads, Blaster and Blads, Blaster and Blades podcast, get it together. Uh, like both the Fantastical and the Scientific, uh, what do you think your first love was? Was sci-fi or fantasy? And forgive me if we asked you in a previous previous interview. <clears throat> we did. Um, I'm pretty sure I said sci-fi. You know, I, I think going back 
it'd be a close tie between like, uh, you know, the original Star Wars, but also one that comes to mind. I think I mentioned this last time was, you know, Disney's Sword in the Stone. Um, that was a pretty oh. early one. Um, grew up on a lot of, you know, probably preceded both of those, a lot of Westerns, though. So that kind of. Louis Lamore? Oh well, uh, no, mostly John Wayne movies. I haven't read I haven't read a ton of westerns, but yeah, I watched the full suite of John Wayne growing up. Well, if I what knew that, Lone I would. I would... Oh, you're embarrassing yeah. yourself, John Wayne. Are we talking red? No, Ranger? I know Jalone Ranger wasn't John Wayne. I was asking as a transitionary western iconic show that has also been remade. Yeah, I like the classics. Had I known, I, I would have come up with Western questions for you to choose. From. Oh, you know, we'll have to do this again, and we'll just take Absolutely. a complete segue, and it will be blasters and blades. But we will talk about westerns just because oh, space westerns are a thing. We'll do a panel. You're you're invited back. We're good. All right. The I Mandalorian is a space western. At least season one was. Oh, totally. You know, so like so, you can merge those things easy. So now Star Wars is already science fiction and fantasy. You throw in the Mandalorian, it covered Western science fiction and fantasy. And the reason we asked these, even though he was interviewed not that long ago, it'll be a month and a half, I think, since the last one when this airs, is because sometimes memory is a fickle thing. And you ask me the same question any given day, and I'll give you a different answer every time because memory works that way when you're when you're put on the spot. So what was your first memory of engaging in speculative fiction? Do you remember um, where you found your love of the genre? Um, geez, I, I'm taking a trip down memory lane here in my head. Um, take our hands, take us with you. Right. <laughs> like like <laughs> I said, honestly, I can't remember the, the first time I watched, uh, Star Wars, you know, um, I'm old enough that, you know, we used to watch a lot of things on network TV and they just came on and sometimes you turned them on and you were halfway through the show and you couldn't rewind it to see the start yeah. of it. So I, I would I would assume my first exposure was probably way back in those ancient days of yore when something popped on, you know. And you were and grateful did, for it. Said, the late 1900s. Movie. Um, I really, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. I just got back from Disney World, actually. And was you know thinking about my favorite disney movies and things like that and most of them involve some kind of medieval element uh you know mulan came along a little bit later but it's like hey sweet you know huns and swords that's pretty cool and you know miniature dragon so i like like i said i can't remember but it, i would say it would have to be the ones i gravitated to you know early on were probably the original star wars or it would have been one of those um, animated movies, whether it was Disney or something else. Every time I'm at Disney World or Disneyland, I have to go and try and pull the sword out of the stone. Right, Every just time. in case. Just in case. One of these days, well, I'm, when you're I'm in Florida, king. if you find a crocodile with a sword in its head and you pull it out, you will become the Lord of Florida. Uh, no, so just for cold. <laughs> you become king I, of I'd the probably blades. pass on that one. Um, you know, nothing against Florida, but there I, is a alligator rolling around there that has a machete stuck in its head and it's still alive there's gotta be numerous no, there's pictures oh, they've got of pictures yeah. oh, okay they got this pictures of the real yeah. thing all right and they made a meme out and said whoever retrieves the machete from the skull will be lord of the glades you know so yeah i'll be on the and it's not so much that florida has any more weird people than anywhere else but their sunshine laws make the information that much more accessible so if you break the law in florida you're just more likely to everyone be able to point and laugh at you right so I just um, 
my wife is a huge Percy Jackson fan. Um, Excellent. Books. And I, I finally listened to all the, all the audio books just recently. And speaking of Florida, like it, it, this just popped into my head while we we're talking about it. It was so fitting to me that like the, the, the centaurs in the Percy Jackson universe, right. They're all kind of party animals, <laughs> party horse, horse, human guys, but they're totally based in Florida. And that's like the <laughs> most, like if there were party centaurs somewhere in America, they would live in Florida. That was just, Oh the, yeah. The with a trucker hat, a fishing hook on the bill. Absolutely. Absolutely. I could see it. So, um, <clears throat> What is it about the broader umbrella that is speculative fiction that you love so much? I, I think it's just the, you know, it, it's cool to read stories about heroes and villains and magic and things. But I, I think it's kind of the step beyond that when you, whether you're you're watching a really great uh, speculative fiction uh, movie, you know, in any of the genres or, or the same with reading a book. It's kind of when you finish it or as you're reading it and your brain kind of starts spinning and you start thinking about other things that could take place in that world. Kind of just how it, you know, it's like, it's like throwing gasoline on the fire of your imagination, basically, right? Where you read these cool stories and you just experience all these different scenarios and characters and things that other authors create. And I think you just kind of feed on that. And that's the same with, I would say with, with, you know, video games in the, in the genre as well, right? It's um, just, it, it makes you think what if, or what else could happen here? Or what if this was different? Um, and I think that plays a lot into why many of us become writers is, you know, we go from daydreaming about that to actually wanting to write it down, but it's, it's just really cool to explore different places and to be able to experience those things and also to build upon it, even if it's just in your you know head or if it's head cannon to those different yeah. worlds. Yeah. I, I think that's the mark of a good story. If when the story ended, I didn't want it to end. So I inserted myself in to keep the storyline going. That's how you know. And hopefully, you know, the books we or the comics we write, like people will do the same thing. Because that's to me, that's that's how you know you've won. Like you, you've you're living rent free in their head, so to speak. Yep. For sure. Yeah, you're you spark the fire of imagination that's gonna just carry on. Like before uh Shadows of the Empire, the book ever got written, I was I had stories in my head, what happened between, um, you know, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. And I put right. Luke and Land, Lando and Lando and Han and all them on just fantastic adventures trying to, you know, recover Han Solo. And um, so that, that brings up a good point, Nick, is another one of my really early memories that uh, definitely influenced my love of fantasy. And um, some of my writing was playing um, Warcraft 2 on one of my cousin's computers, right? I was definitely not old enough to meet the rating for that. And I can tell you that is a game my parents would have definitely not bought me. Oh, absolutely but, you not. know, going over to my cousin's house and um, playing the old real-time strategy version of Warcraft. Uh, the, the, back, in the, back in the old days, before it was an MMORPG, that right. was another big influence on me um, was that early game. And also, when you said Shadows of the Empire... I thought about that game. I think it was the game with the same name too. Yeah, they made a game. Um, that was another great one that that influenced me from a pretty young age as well. Remember me and my mom getting into a huge argument about me trying to put that game on the PC or the home PC because it needed eight megabytes of RAM and it was going to eat up everything. Right. That's how old I am. And now I've got just I'm like I'm like I look back and I'm like it was such a stupid argument, especially right. compared to today's technology. Like you're like this phone could like run ten thousand 
yeah, if, from yeah, the nineties that oh, our poor computers were overheating trying to process. This is like a thousand times more processing speed than what they had to put a man on the moon. Right. And that all those computers my ate, up, ate up a whole like building, you know, multiple floors of computing power. And we walk around with this and they, that turned into a plot of a movie called Iron Sky. And if you haven't watched it, you need to watch it because it is so bad. It's awesome. And we use it to look up memes, right? <laughs> yeah. And I mean, jokes. memes Memes are a love language, all right, people? They're like modern-day hieroglyphics. They're you the just, limericks you know, of our time. They are. There's there's something poetic about a good, well-timed, well-placed meme. Um, it, it's so the sex love language, right? It is. It yeah. should be on there. Um, but uh, how did your love of speculative fiction as a genre and the storytelling therein, how did that transition to you writing your own stories? And sharing them with the world. I, I think a lot of it started from again that that kind of head canon and just imagination where you know you you think of other stories and things that you wanted to take place. Um, I think I shared this last time, but for me, the the earliest thing that I can remember, like writing of my own free will just for fun, was Pokemon fan fiction. But it wasn't even like it was like me rewriting someone else's Pokemon fan fiction that I was like, oh, I didn't like how they did this. So it was like it was like fan fiction inception, right? Where I'm rewriting someone else's and rewriting it again. But I just remember, you know, going back to the the days of just past whatever the first internet was, past dial-up, right? Where you're not di where you're not on dial-up, but your internet's like, wow, I'm gonna take five minutes to load this page. I just remember. You know, I when I found Pokemon fan fiction on the internet um, at a young age, and you know, growing up and being part of that, the the mania around Pokemon, that that was a really aside from all the books. You know, I read a ton growing up, um, and in, in that same time frame, but also just reading a lot of other people's stories was a big influence on me. And just, I, I'm sure you know, I never realized at the time, or I haven't thought about it too much, but. I'm sure there was an influence in seeing that, you know, there, there's all these just regular people that aren't quote unquote, you know, authors that are writing this stuff. And I'm sure that that played an influence later on, you know, um, especially considering that the vast majority of the books I've published have been, um, you know, self-published as an independent author. So that was, that was a little bit of a segue again, but. Well, it kind of goes right into our next question because um, many authors draw from their like life experiences or experiences that they've had. Um, were there any specific moments in your life that uh, shaped you as a storyteller? Um, going back again to, you know, talking a little bit about Warcraft 2, I think that's something that uh, specifically the, the Griffin writers that were a unit in the Alliance, that's something that really inspired my... Uh, not surprisingly titled Griffin Riders trilogy that I wrote a, a few years ago. Actually, it's been, geez, almost six years since the first book for that came out. Um, but, but that was something and just, you know, the, I, I didn't read Tolkien, you know, the Hobbit or Lord of the Rings until I was probably geez, 12 or so. And so, I mean, by that point, you know, I'd been exposed to star Wars. Um, like I said, Warcraft, you know, a lot of Westerns, and then, you know, Chronicles of Narnia was before that. Chronicles of Prydain was before that. That's kind of a, a dark horse book uh, or series that a lot of people don't mention, but that was a big influence on me. So, um, yeah, just, just all of those kind of classic, you know, 
they're again they're 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 classics you know some people might call them ya now but i think they're really at the time they were written just for a general audience they weren't really ya a lot of yeah. those stories kind of inspired me and first kindled my uh imagination starting out yeah, that's, yeah I, I was probably about 13 14 when i read tolkien too so like drawing back to what you just said um that seems to be like a standard age now you know not all of us are uh the winter soldier who read it in 1937 when it first came out. Right. <laughs> so, you know, we discover these things later in life because somebody's older brother read it like, Oh, if you're really into fantasy, dude, you got to check this out. Right. And, you know, and that's how you get into it, but let's transition away from the writing side. Let's talk about things from a fan angle. Uh, we asked about your fandom experiences during your interview with Katie. Uh, if you haven't listened to that episode, uh, what are you doing with your life? Obviously you should go back and check that out, but you know, roll the dice. Maybe this interview popped up first for you. But for a slice of something different, what is your favorite memory of a fan interaction? Um, I, I'm trying not to reuse all my answers, but I used all my good ones last time. So, you know, and obviously for the, the people that don't listen to both, but you, you should still go listen to the other one. Um, Absolutely. The, uh, the, it was just really cool. I did my first, uh, my first con as an author last year. We just had it, Katie and I had a table there. So we weren't speaking or part of any panels. We just kind of had a table in the vendor area. And, you know, I, I'm, I, I don't do a lot of local stuff, I guess you could say. Like I've, I've never done a book signing locally. I don't push a lot of, I don't market locally really, right? Like there, I know there are a lot of people from Utah that have read my books and that I've talked to via email and things, but again, that was my, my first con overall and really the first big thing I'd ever done in person um, in the state. So it was cool just to see the number of people that came up and they're like, Oh, I've read that book or I've read this book. Right. And they knew. And and then especially I just uh, earlier, so fan X in Salt Lake was in September and earlier that March I'd done a Kickstarter for beast mage for this book. And there was probably almost half a dozen people that came up that were like, oh, I, I backed the Kickstarter for that. And I just thought that was super cool that, you know, out of the wide world of the internets, right, the World Wide yeah. Web, that there was that many people locally that had found my book and enjoyed it. And it was just really cool to talk to them and to be able to thank them in person for, for backing a Kickstarter, especially since, one, it was my first Kickstarter, two, it was for a new series. And I obviously my my current readership there, I, there was a lot of great support from them. And I really appreciated that. But there were just a lot of people that that was their first uh, interaction with me or from me at all was supporting that Kickstarter. And that was really cool to meet a couple of those people in person and be able to thank them and just kind of talk about how how that had been a success and thank them again for their support. Now, you mentioned you did a con stateside. Um, have you done anything internationally? Like Canada, Mexico, anything like no, that? No, no, that was first in general. Just Oh, overall. okay, okay. Yeah, you mentioned that. I'm like, ooh, this is a good segue question. Hopefully he's had some, you know, international man of mystery type adventures. I, I would absolutely love to go to. I, I'm drawing a blank on the names. I know there's a couple of big cons in Canada, and um, there's obviously a couple big ones in the UK that, yeah, I'd absolutely love to go to someday. I also, I should give a shout out to, uh, you know, I have a number of fans in Australia. Just want to give them a shout out uh, for their support in general, because um, it's a long way uh, across the water. And I would love to, you know, if I ever go there just to visit, to drop a line and say, hey, I'm going to take two hours and this is where I'll be hanging out. I'd love to meet you. 
Oh, that'd be so sweet. That would be awesome. All right, let's uh, let's talk about everything you, everything about Derek, and everything that you've written. Because I mean, this is what we're here for. Um, can you give us like a Reader's Digest highlights reel of uh, your body of work? I think you did it last time, but just as a refresher for anybody who's finding this podcast first before the previous interview. I mean, it's been six weeks. He could have put out 10 novels by now. That's true. You guys are so fast. That's oh, that's probably what people say when I'm drawing, too. Put it out so fast. I'm like, I really don't. <laughs> I would just anyway. write slash draw, you know, whichever it is. Yeah. I, I wish I had a had put a book, a book out between now and then. I'm actually working on the sequel to uh, Spring for Spears. So I wish that one was done. But um, anyway, the I, I started out, and I, I don't push this too much because I'm going to end up going back and revisiting the series. But my, my Tudavar Saga series was the first thing I published. Um, released the first book in that series, followed it up with the sequel, um, and then I did a novella actually that was a prequel. So there's technically three books out in the series, what I call like book zero and then book one and book two. Um, and then I, I jumped ship from that to do the, the Griffin writers trilogy. And that was all kind of an experiment to see one, if I could take a, that was really when the whole, uh, for indie authors, you guys right remember, uh, that was when the whole right to market trend kind of first came out and it was first a big deal. Right. And so I, I wrote Griffin writers. One is kind of a, a love letter to those uh, original real-time strategy games. I played like age of empires or especially world of Warcraft. God, I love that game so damn much. <laughs> age, age of, of empires. empires? Oh, oh yeah. Dude. Hours upon hours of my life that I'll never get back. And I don't want it back. We, we need to do, I would totally come back just to do an entire show where all we do is talk about age of empires. But that would oh, be yeah, so Especially awesome. when you get frustrated and you get the, uh, cause I was playing on PC. Um, get the cheat codes, and actually, you know, my Roman Legion has like MG 42s, just rah! right when you're just, or you get the the sports car that has a machine gun and just mow everything. Yeah, it just down. goes over there and takes out everybody else. Exactly. Like, oh, I don't even care if it's cheating. This is so damn fun. <laughs> That's the memes that come out of that, where you get the the Roman Legionnaires behind a machine gun. <laughs> it's yeah. like when you perfect the cheat codes. I because uh, that came out when I was in college, and oh my god, oh Friday night. And Saturday. Did you guys do the Saturday. land parties with uh with the the games? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, we sure did. Cause I I had this open concept like eight hundred square foot shoebox of an apartment, but most of it was kitchen going into the living room. So I kicked uh my ex wife. Well, she was my wife at the time, but ex wife. I'm like, hey, you know, you got something you can do with your girlfriends for about I don't know eight hours. It is six o'clock <laughs> at night, Nicholas. But I'm like, I know the boys are coming over, and Fridays for the boys. Playing Age of Empires. She goes, you guys are nerds. And I'm like, yes, you are. Please leave. Maybe that's why she's an ex. She's like, I, I can't compete with this. It's civilization. You can't. <laughs> all right. So that all sounds fascinating. But uh, we're going to dig into the novel that brought us here. But before we do that, we're going to shamelessly show for the man, or in this case, the woman. And I'm going to play that commercial. In a world where magic is controlled by law and government, mages are both coddled and persecuted. Corey Monroe knows she isn't a mage, and her best friend is. Reality isn't always what you know. If you are looking for an urban fantasy with found family, an education-based magic system, and evolving storylines, try My Luck by Mel Todd, book one in the Twisted Luck series, available exclusively on Amazon. All right. Thank you, Mel. And thank you for sticking with us through that commercial interlude. Is that her new book? But, 
No, that's her. Well, she's got new books out in the series. Oh, okay. I was like, man, I so that. it's her urban fantasy, although urban fantasy and paranormal. I don't know. I get all that mixed up. It's fantasy with modern world. One of these days we'll do a discussion where we figure out what exactly all that stuff is. But I bet if we asked 10 people, we'd get 11 answers. Oh, always. So thank you for sticking with us. But uh, we'll be get back to you, Mr. Uh, Derek. Can you tell us where you got the idea for Beast Mage? Was it psychedelics, too much Utah air? Um, I don't know, Elevation. inspired coke or whatever you guys do in Utah for fun. I don't know. <laughs> right. It's, it's, it's hot and flat, yeah. right? Like what all do you guys have? What, what all, you know, we, this is, this is funny. I didn't realize this, this, that Utah was becoming nationally known for this, but I've heard a, a couple of podcasts talk about like the vast number of dirty soda <laughs> shops that you can go to and if you don't know what a dirty soda is it's like let's take dr pepper and add grenadine to it and cream um but but apparently like you come to utah and, and now that's a thing so well i, I guess that's that, our latest thing right it's the dry state so we we well, do whatever we can utah and fry sauce is for summer bread fry sauce was in utah yeah you gotta have fry sauce yeah and i fell in love and I was like, well, there's um Utah is obviously known for their for their Mormons or what well, I guess LDS now they renamed themselves, uh, and there's a decent number of those folks uh, of that tribe that are in the uh, sci-fi space writing. So they're starting to get a reputation as Utah as a sci-fi state. That's true. Um, there are I don't know. There are a lot of authors in Utah. Obviously, we have you know Emperor Brandon Sanderson that's ruling over all of us as the supreme overlord that no one will ever get close enough to touch. But there, there are a lot of authors in Utah. Um, uh, and I have no idea exactly, you know, we could dive into the psychology and culture of why that is, but, it, but it is pretty cool. I've been to a couple like writers conferences and things in the state and it's a really supportive and um, engaged community here. So um, do you have to pay a tithe when every one of your books comes out to Lord Sanderson himself? Yes, specifically, specifically to him, right? Okay, we, I, I thought that's how that worked. Drive down place. and you know, drop it off in front of his villain cave. Now that you know that he built that during the pandemic, if you if you read that story, you can't. <laughs> no, it's not electronic. Okay. Like you actually have to put it in front of the throne. Wow. So I mean, it's worse things to be known for over there in Utah because you could be Ohio, where it's got more people that hated the state so much they left the planet. <laughs> Because Ohio has the most number of astronauts. They're like, this place sucks so much. I don't even want to be on the same planet as this state. That's I'm right. peacing out. Clearly, no, they've never been fair. to some of the I, other uh, places. Yeah, I, I can't complain. And, you know, whatever it, whatever it may be that's causing all the creative uh, um, and imagination, imaginative bursts here, I guess we'll take it right. But um, the... I'm, I'm trying to get back to the question now. Uh, where did Beast Mage come from? So... Beast Mage was uh, an idea I had. It's kind of one of those shiny, shiny uh, distractions you get as an author when you're like partway through another series and you're like, oh, it'd be really cool to write this. And now I'm, I'm totally obsessed with writing that. But I, I finished the current series I was working on at the time, um, which was Gin Tamer. It's another kind of uh, magical companion inspired series more based on Pokemon. But uh, Beast Mage was came from my love of um digimon so growing up the uh saturday morning cartoons on fox you know we watched a lot of digimon back in the day and obviously i've already mentioned i was part of the the pokemon craze 
but then also just uh, kind of exploring a love and a, a fascination and a, a, almost a hobby, you could say, I've generated later on in life for just exploring and understanding some of the, the cultures of pre-Columbian, you know, North America and Central America and kind of meshing the two ideas together. So you have elemental magic, you have beast companions that, that, are, that are magical and can, you know, change forms and do cool things. And then mashing that up with a, a world based on kind of a pre-Columbian America and some of the, the really amazing civilizations, you know, being inspired by some of those civilizations and kind of putting my own spin on them and what that world would look like. And then of course, uh, the, the kind of portal fantasy element and, you know, that, that kind of trope that I think a lot of us go back to, whether we're writers or just lovers of the, of the, of speculative fiction is, you know, what would happen if I got dropped into this world and how I would react. So my reaction to that was to make my main character a, uh, a 19 year old um, dairy farm boy from Idaho who gets dropped into this completely strange world and uh, has to find his sister and kind of deal with that. So kind of tying all those themes together, you know, a lot of, um, again, there was the Digimon element, but also some of those adventure stories like Hatchet or My Side of the Mountain. I think there's definitely some of that flavor in as well. Okay. That um, so before we get started, um, while we talk about Beastmaster, that's uh, Beast Mage, excuse me, that's the origin story for the series, for the book and the series. But uh, what would the age range be for this for this universe? No, I I really in in everything I write, I would say it's it kind of has a PG thirteen rating. Um, really, I'm not uh, as as we mentioned in the last podcast. You can ask Katie. I'm not a big romance guy as far as writing it. Um, so I rely on her skills with that whenever we need romance in our shared books. But, you know, um, honestly, it's it, it's mostly a kind of a PG setting for most of my books, other than, um, you know, some of the violence might creep into the PG-13 range. Um, really not a lot of language, just kind of a lot of cool action and fight scenes. And that's really where things would get pushed over um, as well. I, like I said, I a lot of my inspiration goes back to some of those classics that that may be called in our modern era YA, but really they're they're kind of for all audiences, right? And I think you can you can read them as an adult and appreciate them. Um, and you know, if you you put them on the big screen, obviously there there's still some action and fighting and a lot of cool stuff and people doing magic and people battling and things like that. But it's still accessible for really anyone, I would say. Um, you know, advanced readers, maybe over the age of 10, but definitely anyone 12 and older, but still uh, geared toward an audience, I think, of uh, adults as well, too, right? There, there's definitely some themes where where Kellen in, in searching for his little sister um, is kind of making definitely some more mature choices and adult choices. Um, and it's, it's kind of a, despite that PG-13 rating, it's kind of a, a dangerous... Uh, world, um, the world of Oris, where Beast Mage is set. You know, there's a, a lot of warring factions and tribes. Um, there's a lot of just magic and uh, danger from the natural environment, too. Uh, so it's not like a soft, squishy, nice place to want to live, even if it would be really cool and uh, wonderful to take a vacation there. You know, it's maybe a little bit like uh, Pandora, where you're not so sure you'd want to live there full time. You just might want to visit. Yeah, we're going to get ready to watch that after this interview. <laughs> 
All right, Nick. The next question is you. So you got to put your gin and tonic down. Okay, I don't know if you actually drink gin, gin and tonic. tonic? What am I? Do British? people still drink that? I I do on occasion during the summer. That is a very refreshing drink, or a mint yeah. julep, or a mojito, or we'll be here all night talking about drinks that I like to make during the summer. <laughs> but all right, my let's move on. Everything is cover art. So all right, let me put that cover art up there. It's a beauty. Yeah, I'll do better with transitions. I promise. I could do better. There it is. Oh, poncho. I love ponchos. There I think was, I was definitely. Like um, oh, sorry. I cut you off, JR. I jumped into it too fast. Yeah, that's cool. Shoulder pauldron. It's got a gauntlet. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. There stuff. was a lot of artistic license in this, um, which I, I mean that in a very good way. Basically, my only uh, direction for the cover designer was okay it's got to have a uh south american inspired ish temple in the background which you can kind of see there um mm -hmm. I, I gave some pretty good direction on vex which is the the creature you can see there um kellen's companion then kellen the main character the the first couple versions the first drafts i have some of the rough sketches you know it was very uh European fantasy or kind of traditional epic fantasy sword and sorcery. Like he had a cloak on with a hood and it looked oh. really great, but I'm like, but it's boring. It's old. Right. I'm, and I'm like, yeah, that's not my setting, right? Like he, he has a poncho on because you know, that, that kind of fits in with the world I've created. And, you know, I, I think it gives him maybe dare I say a little bit of kind of a young Clint Eastwood vibe there. Just kind of like a, you know, um, uh, High Plains Drifter kind of feel that I wanted to go for, right? Where it's, yeah. um, th this isn't, this isn't, you know, uh, a retelling of something that happened in England. Like we're not going to find the nice little Shire with hobbit holes, which I love nothing wrong with that, but this is definitely a different world. And I really wanted to set the tone for that right away with the cover. Yeah. Um, with the poncho, like if I was walking to a bookstore and saw that, cause I'm a big fan of Jedi fallen order and he's got like Cal Kestis vibes going on right now. And if you haven't played that game, play it after the uh, after the podcast because you don't want to miss this. I but just anyway. started it the the first one, so I'm like a whole <sighs> game behind, but I'm probably two hours into the first one. And yeah, I really there, there's there's a lot of things. Obviously, having having not played it before I wrote this book, um, there there's definitely some things and things that there are some similarities there. But I'm really excited to check. Well, this I I, game I out. think the game designers and and the creators of that game um, had kind of the same thought process that you did like we don't want it to be like star wars where it is almost like europe you got, got bad guys in cloaks and good guys in brown cloaks and you know it's like i want a poncho i want that clint eastwood look i want that high plains drifter right you know i want that that uh charismatic rogue that uh is learning about his you know place in the world or the universe or whatever so no as a cover i i think it's amazing um all the all the elements are there that make it interesting so I mean, yeah, you got a center figured character who looks something familiar yet alien, distant, different, and then you got this cool ass cat looking thing, um, and he's glowing and stuff, and that's cool. And then the background itself, the civilization. So, yeah, it does have like I guess that is called Mesoamerican. I don't know, yeah. I'm not sure. So, and I think that's really awesome too. Um, as a cover, if I was just walking by, I'd be like, oh, what's this? And then that leads to the next part read the back and then now I'm buying it. So yeah, it's a good cover. Well, thank you. Yeah. It, um, I, I really love it. And um, yeah. Who's I, the artist? You know, oh, what's that? 
Who is the artist? Oh, I'm totally I, – I feel terrible right now because I'm totally drawing a blank on it. <laughs> I, I will look it up before – we can continue talking, but I, I'm committed now to give them a shout-out before we finish the episode. That way we can throw it in the show notes. Let's get the artist some work too. <laughs> Not oh, too much because, cover. you know, I want more of these awesome covers. But, yeah, definitely want to get some props. <laughs> that's always the balance. Like you want to throw some love <laughs> at your, your artist, right? Like they do great work. But like, man, you want them free for you. <laughs> Absolutely. That's why you contract them. That's like oh. the the um, the the crux or maybe that's not the right word. But, the you know, especially in the indie spaces, there's so many talented artists out there and narrators. And it's like you, you want to help them and support them and get their word out. And then all of a sudden they're like, man, I'm booked up for like eight months. And you're like, but, but I love you and I, I need to work with you. You know, Remember so who gave you your shot, buddy. You know, <laughs> got it. So um, cover artist name is Billy Christian. He's Billy done Christian. Um, some work and I, I think it's a shop now, but I mean, regardless, like they, they produce some amazing stuff and he's kind of the headline artist there. He's done some stuff for magic, the gathering. Um, some yeah, Final that Fantasy would make stuff. sense. That tracks. So yeah, yeah he, he, um, he's got that fantasy cool. world down, you know, that tone. Yeah. Very good. Very good. All right. Now that we've enjoyed the, uh, the cover, and I love looking at covers. That's my favorite part of the show. Uh, besides meeting new people, uh, let's move on to the book itself. Uh, what would your 32nd elevator pitch be for this, for this book? So um, kind of explained it, but to wrap it all up and, you know, put it in a, a tiny, uh, a, a better bow nice or a better package. Yeah. That we're on the second floor, going to the fifth floor of the elevator. Really, it's a, a young man who gets transported to a strange kind of foreign planet in search of his sister who also disappears there. And along the way, he uh, has these elemental powers that are awakened with him and he kind of bonds with this magical beast companion and uses these new powers and kind of grows in confidence in himself to as he's searching for his sister in this strange world with all sorts of crazy flora and fauna and warring <clears throat> tribes okay all right cool and and having said that what what makes your series special what do you think it separates it from well, I don't think there's anything else out there like that right now that I've heard of but I don't read a lot but tell me about what makes your series special I think there's kind of really three things. Um, the first is just the, uh, you know, I call it the the monster taming genre, which isn't really a even a subgenre. It's kind of a very niche thing where there's not a lot of us writing in it. But I think for fans of, you know, whether it's Pokemon or Digimon or Monster Rancher or just any of kind of those games in those vein, um, I, I think that there's uh, people who enjoy those games or the trading card game or the anime or whatever it would be. There's not a lot of books out there that kind of have those similar themes and tropes, which I think that's one that mine does. The The second thing is that just kind of the mashup I talked about in the setting, right? It's not your typical uh, medieval Europe setting. Um, I really tried to, I, I did a lot of research for this book not to copy anything from the ancient civilizations uh, and cultures of North America and Central America and South America, you know, those, those pre-Columbian right. cultures. You say it was more influence driven in your research? Right, influence. And that, that was my goal. I didn't want to copy and paste anything, but I definitely wanted that tone and flavor while also being, you know, respectful 
of, of those cultures um, and, and just trying to understand how regular life worked there and get, be, and get beyond kind of the, the things you learn in your sixth grade history book, right? And then yeah. the, the third thing would be the protagonist, which I think is kind of a dividing point for people that read the series. Um, it's in that, uh, it's also in that progression fantasy subgenre, which, you know, really focuses on characters leveling up and getting stronger and learning new abilities and having kind of tracked and measurable progress and um, ascension of their power. But mm. Kellen was a character that I kind of the first concept I, when I wanted to write this book, aside from the cool world and, you know, the, the, the magic and that was that I wanted Kellen to portray uh, a realistic, um, um, I wanted him to be a realistic portrayal of what a regular average dude from who, you know, is kind of shy and, you know, he, he, he just graduated high school and he's not, he's not a dude with a plan, right? He's not, doesn't have yeah. a lot of self-confidence, right? Um, oh kind of like, early, you know, how Harry Potter is in the first right. half of that series, right? And I, I wanted to portray someone like that who ends up in a completely new world, is totally out of his depth, right? And doesn't just suddenly embrace this and doesn't suddenly become, you know, he's not the chosen one. He's not someone who just forgets about his old life. Like, you know, he's searching for his sister and he's trying to find a way home, but he also has to embrace the realities of kind of this, this deadly, dangerous world that he lives in and these new powers that he has. And really exploring how someone that's, you know, almost like a younger Bilbo Baggins in some ways that gets thrust into this setting, what he would do as opposed to kind of the cookie cutter main character that never looks back and just, just takes everything in stride and never thinks about I'm in a different world. And how is that playing with my mind? Right. And, and what's right. going on with me. So he becomes the, like the reluctant hero. Right. It's like, he's just thrust in this situation. He's just like, well, I'm just gonna have to deal with it, I guess, but I probably should learn some stuff, <laughs> you know? Well, one of the things that it does, though, is it instantly makes the character more likable because, every, like, family matters, right? Like, in this world where we devalue everything every day and nothing really matters and everything is, I hate this and let's hate things together, like we mentioned earlier. Like, to right. see someone who just lay it all on the line for family, that's commendable, and you don't see enough of that in the modern world. You really don't. And I really, and it, um, since I was kind of writing this for that progression fantasy subgenre audience. Um, you know, that was one of my target audiences. I was really unsure how it was going to be accepted. And I, I think it, it it has been divisive, right? Where people read the book and they're like, I didn't like Kellen or people read the book and they're like, yeah, that's like a real person in that situation. Right. And so to me, that told me that I did something right, that there was like a clear division between people love the character or they were like, Oh, I can't stand this guy. Cause he's not overpowered and running around just, you know, getting all the girls and just shooting things with all his magical abilities and stuff. So to me, that meant that it was a success, even if it maybe wasn't a hundred percent perfect fit for that genre. But I, I think I nailed the character um, and what I was going for. And I think the, to me, the, the people that didn't really love him, that's fine to me as long as they recognize that he was realistic in some ways and that he was kind of genuine. Right. And that's what I was going for. That's good. Would you live in the world that you put him in? Oh gosh. Um, that's a tough one. I mean, so we're talking about a world where, you know, not any spoilers here, but just some of the stuff that Kellen encounters, like, you know, there's 
a, a gigantic grizzly bear with like crystals coming out of its back that's the size of a dump truck, right? And it uh, it's, count me other out. than that, it's just like I a bear it's just bigger her and angrier and has some magical powers. Um, um, and then there's you know gigantic stampedes of bison, you know buffalo, except that they're you know their their hooves are on fire, so they're like literally making a giant wildfire on the on the version of the great plains in this world. And there's tornadoes and magical storms. Um, I would say it would be pretty cool again to visit, like, especially if you got like the, the, uh, the tamed version of it, but uh, living there. And that's something I've always wanted this to portray was that, that it is a harsh world, right? But there's still beauty in it. And there's still a lot of amazing and cool things, but it, it, it's meant to be a really tough place on uh, kind of a, a testing fire for Kellen. So long story short, I mean, if it was either live there or not, like if I, I can't just use the scapegoat or the cop-out answer being like, yeah, I'd go on vacation there for a week. I, I think I'd have to pass it up. Um, <laughs> go to Florida. Go to Florida. Catch go to, right? It's, it's close <laughs> enough. Like, I mean, it, if you did get the magical powers and you know you did have a super awesome animal companion that could change shape and do cool things too, you know, um, yeah. That would be different. And I just to kind of, I guess, maybe take this full circle or my short answer is no, but that was kind of what I played with in the whole book, right? Is that Kellen's not just someone who he's not an orphan. He, he has, he has ties at home, right? He has a family at home. Um, He has a little sister that's somewhere in this world that he's trying to find. So I, I didn't want the character to be someone who could just show up here and be like, oh, well, I have no reason to go back to earth. I can just fully embrace my life, right? Like I wanted that clear division between him having something at home to miss, but also something here that he was searching for um, to, to, to make his life a little harder and his decisions a little bit harder. But it also added gravitas to it. Like if, if none of the decisions mattered, if the consequences aren't there, then, then what's it all matter? That's one of the things, I call it like the G.I. Joe symptom, syndrome you'll see in some of the mill sci-fi, for instance, where at the end of the episode, as it were, the end of the book, everybody's laughing. They went a few places, killed a few things, lost a few friends, and then they reset like nothing happened. That just doesn't ring true. So I think adding that, the stakes, as it were, like I think that's what makes the world better and more vibrant. For sure, yeah. I wanted there to be, a, like I said, you know, he's definitely an underdog. I want you to root for him, but also like understanding that there, you know, there are consequences to choices and there's the, there's the reality of the situation. Um, and again, I, I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but that really comes to head at the kind of climax and end of the book where he has to make some decisions and um, some choices. Okay. Well, we don't want any spoilers because this is a spoiler free zone here uh in the blasters and blades podcast so nick the next one is on you don't let him spoil it your job is to save him from himself oh that is way too much responsibility because i want the spoilers <laughs> no, i'm just kidding well i do and i don't we'll talk offline <laughs> uh, let me get done crack myself up uh why don't you tell us a little bit about your main character and what makes him unique in the uh well, in that environment, uh, the fiction and fan, fiction, science fiction, fantasy. Well, it's not really science fiction. In the fantasy realm, forgive me. I've been drinking. No, no worries for sure. You know, I've talked a lot about it, about it, and just that Kellen is someone who, like, if if he woke up and he had the choice to go to this strange new planet 
or stay in bed on earth and live his kind of normal average life. At the start of the book, he would have been like, no, thank you. Close the magic portal. I'm not interested in that. Like that doesn't sound safe. <laughs> that definitely sounds like I could. Get I don't like my sister life. that much. You know <laughs> Exactly. Um, but other than that, I think, um, you know, like I said, I, I tried to mold him and mana and mold him. Let's stick with mold. <laughs> tried mold. to mold him a lot. I'm like, what would like a younger, like younger Bilbo Baggins be like, right? In this same situation where he's kind of reluctant, you know, he, he doesn't really believe in himself um, and his abilities. He thinks he's just a regular guy. And yet he's in an irregular situation where he, he he's forced to rise above, right? And mm -hmm. just how that realistically would look like. And some of the characters around him, uh, again, a, a lot of people, the supporting cast, a lot of people felt that they were maybe a little unfair to him. But, you know, like I said, this is kind of a harsh, dangerous, unfair world. And it's kind right. of, you know, the sort of like... Uh, you're in the army now, kid, right? And you know, I know yeah. that, that works with, resonates with you guys or you get that, but kind Absolutely. of in a different sense. It's like, you're in a totally different world now, kid, right? Um, yeah. Day one was like, I think I've made an egregious error. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? So it's like waking yeah. up to that without having made the choice to do it. So, you know, that kind of adds it on. And then also going, okay, like, it's not just sink or swim for me, but like my little sister's here. And, and for reasons that we explain in the book, you know, they're, there's more to it behind, obviously, just a big brother wanting to look out for his little sister, right? Um, yeah. And the other part to it is, uh, is I wanted him to, you know, the, the, the ultimate goal is for him to, you know, become confident, come into his own over the course of the series. But I, I didn't want that change to happen all in one book. And, and even in the second book, which... Uh, it's going to be coming out in a few months. I'm just doing Kickstarter fulfillment for it right now. Even in the second book, he's kind of struggling with some of the same, same things. So there's definitely character growth, but it's not like an instantaneous where by the end of this book, you know, he goes from like kind of fresh face kid off the farm to, oh, I'm like Clint Eastwood with magical powers and a giant cat that will eat you, right? I would freak out. I would 100% misuse my powers. <laughs> Yeah, I'd be like that kid with the little red. Uh, was it Red Rider BB gun? I'd shoot my eye out the first time I got like the lightsaber. I'd, oh, it, I'd yeah. be, it'd be over. The cat would take my arm. I'm sure. Right. Yeah. And, and there's a lot to you know. I, I need to give Vex some credit too. Vex is his companion, and his his he is named Apley. I guess you could say. Uh, so Kellen is, is the main vexed? character, but like Vex is basically like a part of Kellen, right? And that comes to play in the story is kind of the decisions Kellen or Kellen's making that influence Vex and Vex is almost like a, uh, the opposite of Kellen or like the mirror image of him, right? When you look in where he's the, not the mirror image, but the opposite, right? Where he's, he's adventurous and outgoing and he doesn't worry about things and he's, he's not afraid to have fun um, just well, in kind of strange, dangerous world. And that's was really the funnest thing to write was just the interaction between those two and kind of how they, end up balancing each other out, but also learning and growing together. So so Which let's seems. let's look look into that. So is Vex the foil for the main character? Is he literally part of him, like his inner beast kind of thing? Is it a separate entity with its own consciousness? Can you can you sort of because I'm a little bit confused on, on the role that the cat plays in the larger scale. Read the book, JR. Well I'm gonna do that too. I've got a copy already. I I got it. 
I don't have a copy. That's all I'm saying. Because he likes me better than you. Well, well I mean, you haven't read it yet, so I, I'm gonna. You, you lost your privileges. You need to mail your. Book to <laughs> I was too busy uh, drooling over Springs and Spears and Astrid. All right, look, it's just yeah, not, not just my fault. Cut out the middleman. You just mail it directly to me. I'll read it. <laughs> I, right? I like, will it's not my fault. You, you write so so many yeah. awesome stuffs that I can only do so much at a time. All right. No, I like supporting the cause. Tell me where I can uh, contribute. So I'll, I'll, I'll speaking of supporting the cause. Uh, I'm going to pause for a moment where before we talk about his secondary characters and remind you that uh, Derek and Katie both um, these they're, are known for selling direct, so they sell on their website. And if you really want to support authors, and not just these two, but anyone who who offers that option, when you buy direct from the authors, from the comic book creators, they get a larger cut of the pie. So you are doing a lot more to help the bottom line and give them the breathing room to make more content for you. It's great that you can get it on Amazon. It's even cooler when you can get it at Barnes and Noble and all the other places. But when you buy it direct from the author, that that could be life changing for for an author. And I mean, sometimes it goes from the difference of getting you know seventy percent to getting ninety percent of the profit, which right. means your ROI, your return on investments, a lot quicker, and you can take more chances. So we will link this in the show notes for you to give it a shot yourself. But I will not be linking it to Amazon this time. We will link directly to uh, Derek's website where he sells. Straight up, and to we my heard boy. you. To- yeah, we encourage you to do the same thing. And if Nick's comics that he's talked about recently intrigue you, do the same thing. Buy it from his website. Don't buy it, you know, from the other vendors. Buy directly from the authors where you can. All right. With that being said, Derek, would you consider the Vex a secondary character? Like, how would like what what's the relationship with the cat and the main character? And like, are they separate? Can you can you elaborate? Right. So. When when Vex wakes up in or sorry when Kellen wakes up in Oris that's the the name of the world like Vex is there and Vex really uh, and this is explored in the start of the story and throughout it but you know Vex is like he has his own mind they they kind of share some thoughts you know I'm um, not really telepathic Vex Vex can talk out loud but they're they're really like uh, they're they're own distinct individuals but they've also influenced one another and just the fact that they're they're here right in this world so vex kind of comes into pops into existence when kellis when kellen wakes up in this world and really you know a lot of it is about uncovering their relationship with one another but you know vex is also figuring out he's like yeah i one of the lines he says is you know i waited a long time for you to be here and he's like well like were you alive before then and there's kind of some dialogue where he's like no i just like existed and i know i've been waiting for you and kind of now you're here right now it's kind of like a um the magical familiar version of like the stork dropping the baby except instead of a baby it's kind of like this alter ego version of yourself that also has its own magical powers and has given you magical powers so there, there's so a lot of play cons- back and forth between them um throughout the course of the story Um, You know, a lot of fun banter, kind of, there's definitely a buddy element there to it, but also kind of a little bit of a a deeper, I don't want to call it an exploration because it's really not that um, serious, I guess you could say, but you know, there's definitely a look into, you know, Vex is like, like I, I came into existence because you came into this world and Kellen's focus is one, getting his sister, finding his sister and two, getting them both back home. And so there's kind of a contrast there where Vex like, well, I'm not sure I'll exist if you don't live here anymore, right? Or if you don't exist in this world, what does that kind of mean for me and in my existence, right? So that was a really deep way to say, you know, um, 
Vex is definitely comedic relief in a lot of the times. And there's definitely a lot of buddy elements in the story and just kind of the training montage of both of them learning to grow into their individual magical powers, but also kind of how they work together to do some kind of cool combination magic stuff in fighting. Yeah. When you hearing you describe Vex, like I know when I'm, when I read this Vex is going to be voiced inside my head by James Earl Jones. <laughs> he He's more like a, or, uh, oh my God, why am I? It's funny you say it? that. Morgan I'm, Freeman, maybe? Or yeah, I'm, I'm actually getting. Goodbye. Have you seen the movie, Nick, in the Army Now? Oh, the drill sergeant. Shore? No, I, I'm picturing Polly Shore. <laughs> Was that our truck drill sergeant? Like, I'm picturing that vibe for Vex. Vex is like definitely a, yeah. more uh, Jonathan Taylor Thomas's Simba than he is James Earl Jones's Mufasa. So, uh, no, <laughs> okay. now the voice I didn't specify because there is there's Vader, there's uh, Mufasa. I'm thinking the blind guy from the Sandlot. The way he said it's like George signed this. I stand corrected. You're dead where you stand. You know that comedic, light-hearted version of James Earl Jones. This is so. I'm still Go reading ahead. it in that voice. I don't care what y'all say. Okay. <laughs> but I'll, I'll give it a second read through with the other voices. So Katie read the, uh, the a spring for spears for, for the audience in her, her narration. Did you narrate beast mage? I did not. I, and I was actually, you must've been reading my mind JR. Cause I was totally going to give a plug for my narrator right here. Um, I got, I was super fortunate. His schedule is insanely busy now. And I don't think he's taking on new authors. Um, as far as I'm aware, but I was lucky enough to work with uh, Travis Baldry to do the narration for this. And he is, he absolutely knocked it out of the park. Um, Travis is good. I, Travis, I knew before I had even written the book that I wanted Travis to narrate it. Right. So like, as I'm going through and I'm writing the draft and I'm revising the, the second and third draft, like I'm doing it, thinking about Travis, uh, writing and revising this. And if you've, if you've heard Travis do anything, I mean, he, he could like read the phone book for people that still know what a phone book and, is. And make it sound entertaining. Yeah. Travis is awesome. And I was really fortunate to work with him on this project and to be able to work with him on this series. But also knowing kind of in advance, um, another inspiration for this was if you're familiar with uh, Will White's Cradle series, um, this was kind of like Digimon meets Cradle, but set in a pre-Columbian world instead of a... Uh, an Asian inspired world. So just, just knowing that as I was writing it and knowing that Travis was going to narrate it and some of the voices he was doing, um, he, he really knocks it out of the park on this one. There's, there's no way, even if I had wanted to narrate it, that I could have came anywhere as close as he does with this. And um, yeah, he, he's incredible. If you, if you are all able to, I would suggest getting the audiobook version over the paperback or ebook just to hear Travis really bring this story to life and give it a totally uh, additional element. Dig it. Dig okay. It. All right. Well, Hey, let's move on to the bad guys, the antagonist, the ones that challenge our hero. Um, what are the, who, who, or what are the antagonists? Is it man versus man, man versus environment? Like what do we got going on here? So it's a, a little bit of both, you could say. Like like I mentioned, you know, there was definitely some influence from like just the man versus nature that you find in My Side of the Mountain or Hatchet or any of Jack London's stuff. Um, 
and I explained some of the environmental concerns and uh, flora and fauna uh, that come after Kellen and Vex in the story. And then there's also the the main villain or bad guy. He his name is Ubira, and he's got a um, he's kind of a cool uh, villain. And I, I'm trying to the reason I'm stuttering and with this is I'm nope. trying not to spoil too much about yeah. him. I'm a big fan of spoilers, darling. <laughs> Don't tell but, no spoilers. But, <clears throat> it's kind of interesting in that the the main antagonist has more interactions with Kellen's <laughs> sister. And we get a few chapters from her point of view um, than he actually does with Kellen. And also the, the Ubira, the main antagonist, uh, there's a, there's an ally character that's with Kellen. That's um, has some point of view chapters in the, in the second book and plays a main, a main role. Her name is Shawnee where there's some things that Ubira has done that, that kind of impact her. And so really what the setting is, is, uh, Allison kind of pops into this world and has the misfortune to basically land right in with Ubera and his gang of um, miscreants and bad guys. Uh, they're kind of a group of slavers and they're just really not good people, but there's also some deeper motives that they have going on. And then Kellen pops into this world and, and teams up with this, uh, this tribe of warriors that's going after Ubera and trying to rescue some of the people that he had kidnapped and so you have this kind of chase story going on uh, as well. And then also the, the man versus nature that you're dealing with. So there's a, a really cool antagonist. Has a, there's an awesome battle at the end. I think I can say that without there being any spoilers. Um, but also a lot of just nature challenges along the way. And a lot of interactions between um, Kellen and the group he's with. Again, I explained they're kind of a, a hardened group of... Um, mostly ladies that he's with and they're kind of like, you know, uh, pretty hardcore warrior women. Um, and so him just learning to exist in this new world, you know, they're there. It's sometimes some of them are almost antagonistic forces or they're the, the ally in the sense of the ally that moves the plot along, not necessarily the ally that's going to tuck you into bed at night and tell you that everything's going to be okay. Cause it's not gonna be okay. You got some stuff ahead of you, bro. Right. To um, quote my grandmother, nobody promised you a rose garden. Exactly. Uh, Those old German women—they had no f's to give. I'm just saying. They had zero chill, bro. Zero. <laughs> no, chill. zero chill. Zero chill. My All Irish right, grandmother so. was the same way. All right, Nick. It's your favoriteest question—the one you insisted we put in there. So, are you ready for oh, this? Dude, yeah, I do. Okay, so you've mentioned these amazing characters and secondary characters. All right, so picture this: you're in a back alley. You run into all of them at the end. You can't go anywhere. You—it's either you or them. What do you think they're going to do? You think they're going to beat your ass, or are they going to give you a hug? Um, after the hell you've put them through. After the after the hell I've put them through. I, I I would say if I ran into Kellen um, within the first week of him being there, he he'd probably I think I'd have a good chance of fighting him off, right? <laughs> you know, kick him in the knee. It's Run. not that he's soft. He's he's just you know I, I take my chances on bull rushing him and getting him out of that, getting myself out of that um, alleyway. But if but if we're getting teamed up with uh, Kellen and company, the rest of the crew that's with him, you know. Um, They'd probably beat me up just because, even aside from what I did to them. But knowing what I did to them, yeah, I don't like my chances at all. I 
the chances of survival are nil. Oh yeah, go back to my interview with my characters. Yeah, they. <laughs> I was dead. I was dead where I stood. <laughs> yeah, but you write superheroes, so it makes it a little bit different. Yeah, but even the hero wanted to kick my ass. <laughs> this is true. I mean, but you kind of had it coming. So that's both true. Of you. I did. I mean, I mean, I, just knowing I, what I you did to poor Astrid, I know that that you probably weren't any better to these people. Your horrible, <laughs> rotten, no good day to them. Everybody but, gets the same treatment. The beatings will continue until morale improves. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> so that is a good point, uh, Jr. In that I don't know who I'm not sure who had it worse, Kellen or Astrid. Oh, Probably Kellen. So I'll set the stage for you there. That I, if I had to what? pick one of them to go through what they went, I don't think I would. I got to read this I, book. I'd probably go with Astrid over Kellen, but it's a close one. You're saying Kellen over Astrid as far as like parental tough love. Yeah. Like I had it worked, yeah. his ass. Sure. All right. I got to read this book. You guys need to read this book. Uh, Cause Astrid, holy crap. <laughs> um, Yeah. Oh my God. So this is clearly part of a series because I know when we were doing the prep for the show, you accidentally gave me book two's cover. Uh, in fact, let me go ahead and show that because it's glorious as well, because that just released. Glory. Um, Storm Totem and uh, the kid that, that's even cooler. Yeah, that's back. That's uh, so that is the without any spoilers. That is the same um, beast companion, but obviously he looks different. So yeah, I don't. I really somebody think that's evolved. What was that? Sorry. Somebody got the XP to evolve. Yep, he he got some XP, and Kellen kind of you know that was how we leveled him up too. I was like. My my going back to the cover design for both of them, I'm like, okay, we're going for like uh, kind of a, you know, if I had played uh, Jedi Survivor or Fallen Order, I, I totally would have been like, make him look like Cal Kestis, right? But my inspiration was actually like Tom Holland. And, and that's maybe the best way to describe Vex is like if Tom Holland was a, a magic fox slash cat thing in uh, this story, it would be Vex. Well, what does the fox say? Exactly. No, that that's a really cool cover too. Um, we're still going to talk about this when we bring you back on to talk about book two. We're going to talk about this. We'll get uh, so, cover. it's pretty awesome. Where do you? Speaking of book two, so obviously we know there are two books out because we've seen the covers. Where do you see the series going? Is it done at a trilogy? Is it going to be like you're going to pull a George R. R. Martin, write like a dozen books, and then leave us hanging? Like, where do you see the series going? Well, I like I mentioned before, I kind of already pulled the George R. R. Martin with Tudovar Saga, and that I'm like, I will finish it, but I kind of abandoned it, and I'm going to rewrite it. So I'm committed to, you know, I, I'm working on the Wolf Song Saga with Katie right now, and then really my other big project is this one, is is Manabe. So in the, the kind of the number I have in my head, and I, I've done some outlining and kind of getting the big picture in mind, I'm looking at probably seven books total. Um, you know, I, I, I know it won't go over seven. It may end up being, you know, six, but kind of seven's the cap on this. You know, I'm, I'm really looking at, with again, with the other projects I have, trying to work on one a year for this. Um, so Storm Totem, like I, uh, I don't know if I mentioned this, but the Kickstarter for it ended the end of February, and that's kind of how I've been launching these books. So if you supported the Kickstarter and you're listening to this, thank you so much. You're amazing. Um, if you didn't uh, and you still want to check it out, thank you for being amazing, but you're probably going to have to wait till September for the regular release because I, I make sure the Kickstarter crew gets about a three-month 
head start to read it and check everything out. But I am, um, like I mentioned before, I'm working on Sword Summer right now, which is the second book in the series I've written with Katie, the Wolf Song Saga. And once I get through that and probably the outline for the third book in the Wolf Song Saga, I'll start on book three for uh, Mana Beasts. So trying to trying to keep them, you know, clipping right along at a pretty decent pace. Um, definitely a lot of, you know, with I've never done a seven book series before, so this will be interesting. My biggest is a trilogy. Um, so it, it's definitely a lot of crossing your eyes and dotting your T's and all that just to keep uh, a continuity. Right. You know, re- remembering what you wrote previously so you don't break the world, you know, essentially. Exactly. The, the continuity. Fans always pick that building stuff is, up. I'm going to definitely have to go back. Oh, there are rules lawyers in every fandom. About, uh, kind of organizing yeah. my notes and things. But it, it's been a fun challenge to really have an epic scope like this. You know, the, the books are decent sized. Um, Storm Totem a little smaller than Beast Mage. But we're still talking about, um, I think Beast Mage was 115,000 words. So still that's bigger than the hobbit and storm totem is about the same size as the hobbit and fire as far as word count goes so i mean they're pretty decent they're not like a doorstop but um enough that they're you know still fast paced and you can read them but there's a lot going on for sure i would love to see this be like like made into a series you know like as far as like a streaming service but i know hollywood will just screw up the essence of the books this is one um so of all my uh my other series gin tamer again it was it's it's set in a modern world and it was really kind of inspired by how we would do pokemon but also addressing some of the weird continuity issues that they just ignore in it right um and it it, it would be one that i would really love um gin is in you know we we took it from gin is in genie and Ginny, um however you spell it but really there that was our name for the magical creatures in the world um, i dig it but really both Beast Mage and uh, Mana Beast, the series, and Gin Tamer, the series, again, that they're both kind of in that monster taming realm. Both of them I would love to see as an anime or, you know, a graphic novel someday. I think they're, there's a really cool potential to do a crossover there, and I would love to work with someone on that someday for that. So definitely, um, you know, writing these as a, as a full-length novel, and, and that's my main focus, but... I would also love to adapt both of those um, into different formats. Different mediums? Yeah. Yeah. Because so all the stuff you've created the, um, so far has been like could transition. Well, I'm sorry, Jared, I didn't mean to step on it. Um, those could transition well. I mean, you've you've got unique takes on um, not only the genre, but the tropes within the genre. So like I don't know why Hollywood's not knocking down your door right now wanting to buy rights to it. Right. I, I'm expecting the call any day. <laughs> I'm going to go find a lamp but, um, speaking and of the, get a gin. That would be nice. Although they always mess your your uh, your wishes up, so you'd have to be really creative, get all lawyery on the wording. Right. Ooh, lawyeries on the gin. That's funny. Yeah. yeah. So you mentioned the mana is the, uh, is the magic system. What can you tell us about that? Is it just elemental magic? Can you elaborate on the magic system? Right, so it's coming blue goo. It's the blue goo. <laughs> okay. Well, as you can see, um, Kellen's magic is based on stun mana, hence kind of the yellow glowy stuff that we see. Um, okay. There's also some storm mana that you can see going on in the background of this cover. So I wanted it to be 
elemental magic, but I wanted to get away from just kind of the traditional earth, water, um, fire, and, and wind. So there, there, there's still fire. Um, like I said, storm mana kind of encapsulates lightning and wind and that kind of thing. There's still water mana. There, there's earth mana. And then uh, sun and uh, shadow are kind of the other two. And there, there may be others. Um, Do you, would you, you say that like the, the four elemental manas that are, you know, earth, wind, fire, and water, they have their like little sub um, categories within each mana type thing? I kind of, um, I, I took out those subcategories. So, you know, like I said, storm mana is kind of like wind and lightning and kind of combined. And really made it its own thing. Okay. But the, uh, I I should have said this way before. I'm a little rusty on my pitch again because I haven't, I'm not in, um, I'm not in convention mode, right? I'm not used to hawking books at the Conrad at this time of year. But (laughs) on the spot, (laughs) the, uh, the other kind of one liner for this is Digimon meets Avatar The Last Airbender. So that kind of gives you an idea of the magic and how it works with people. Um, and really they're, it's not just like, oh, these people can throw lightning at people and these people can make bright yellow glowing things. Like there's there's some complexities that we'll be getting into in books two, but especially three and later on in the series about kind of the pros and cons, the strengths and weaknesses of each type of, of magic. And also the thing that was cool for me to play with is like how having this magical companion augments what the human can do and vice versa. And really, you know, you, you think of Digimon or Pokemon, it's sending this, you know, sending your electric rat off to fight another magic animal. But in, in the mana beast world, the humans are right there fighting alongside them, right? So they've, you know, they got to, you got to do push-ups too. You can't just go out and level up your, uh, your magical animal there. You got to be on your game too, because you're in the middle of the things and you're fighting alongside them. Right. Yeah. Um, kind of off the wall question because in a lot of like Digimon Pokemon, there's, there's the, uh, the one that can kind of like the one ring, the one that can control them all. Is there something like that going on in your series? Um, no, there, there, there isn't a one that can control them all, but without being too spoilerly, you're challenging me again here. There's some instances where like I, I play with the ways that, a person can form a bond with a mana beast. So without spoiling it, like you have people like Kellen who are called spirit travelers, right? They get dropped into Oris from earth. And one thing we play with and we're, we'll explore more in later books is, is that the, the timeline from earth and the timeline in Oris don't necessarily line up. So there could be a potential for, you know, uh, like a conquistador type character to that came from earth to cross paths with Kellen, who is basically from modern earth. Right. So there's that aspect. But the other part of it is, is that, that not every person from earth that ends up in Oris um, becomes a beast caller, which is the kind of the the term for people that use magic and have these companions and the people that are native to Oris. um, Not all of them are born more not all of them are born being a beast caller. So there's different ways it can happen, you know? Um, and, and I explore that in the series where sometimes it's a traumatic event or sometimes it's just a big life-changing event that doesn't necessarily have to be traumatic, but right. there, so it's not like, Hey, you're born and here's your cute little pink 
um, platypus that's going to be your companion right. for the rest of your life, right? There's like, no sorting hat for these types of things. Yeah, I, I mean, there, it, there's it's kind of a, a a random sorting hat in that it, it it just you can't control who it happens to or when it happens. It does follow bloodlines in some cases, but really, it's it's the idea that there's not this group of people that you know are going to be this right like right. The, without without really spoiling anything obviously kellen who is 19 years old that's when he first forms his bond with vex and meets vex um there's another character later on that's a minor character this isn't a spoiler but she's around the age of like six and um later on in the book you know her companion kind of forms so it can happen to anyone at any age and that was kind of the, as I was developing the magic system, I wanted that to be part of the thing where, you know, it's not, it's not a special group of people and it's not always the, the circumstances that lead your mana beast to manifesting, Mm -hmm. um, no pun intended, aren't always desirable things or things that you would be envious of a person that, that happened to. Oh, I'm pretty sure I'd get a platypus. I could see it. I'd be like, yeah. and he'd just be walking around bouncing so, an apple on his bill. So of all the magical styles, all the different uh, manas that you could get powers from, which one would you want to have control over? Oh, man, that's pretty tough. I mean, Kellen, we'll, we'll see more of this in book two. He kind of gets a grasp of it and starts doing more more cooler things in book two. Um Part of the the sun mana stuff is healing, mostly self-healing, not necessarily healing others. But, I mean, that's pretty cool if you can heal yourself, right? Better um, than a Band-Aid. Right? <laughs> Faster than a Band-Aid and cheaper, too. That's right. I would say uh, probably, you know, some of the water mana is pretty cool, just to, the things that you can do, you know. Um just being able to manipulate water pretty sweet, but probably storm mana would be the awesomest. Um, Just being able to not necessarily fly, but kind of levitate and float around and do some cool stuff with that. And I mean, going back to the start of this, you know, when we're talking about the Sith, like shooting lightning out of your hands is, is pretty freaking awesome. Right. So I'd probably have to go with that one. Awesome. Um, Okay. let's, Let's talk about how you create. Um, these magical creatures that you have going on in the world. Um, where did you draw that inspiration from? Nightmares, psychedelics, uh, spoiled water, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I wanted it to be just to give a, a sampling of some of the creatures in this world. You know, we talked about the bear with kind of the big crystal spikes on his back, the size of a dump truck. Um, I, I took inspiration from animals that exist in the Americas or existed in the Americas, you know, there's definitely just like there was a little bit of ice age flavoring and a spring for spears. Um, there was a little bit of ice age flavoring. And again, that, uh, exploring that fauna from, from those periods that, that appear here, there's the, the bison are more like bison you'd see in the ice age, right. Where they're twice as big and have gigantic horns. Um, just huge. Right. <laughs> Massive. <laughs> And, and other than that, it's just really mixing and matching and animals anywhere, real animals, you know, animals that exist in mythology was a big inspiration. Um, just kind of, you know, a big thing in the, 
I, I'm not an artist myself. I, I wish I was, but a, a big thing in the the Pokemon Digimon kind of fandom is people drawing fake versions of those those creatures. And so basically just taking inspirations from any type of animal that I thought was cool, whether they were real or or non-existent. So, you know, we've got Vex who kind of starts off as this um, you know, volleyball, football shaped kind of just fluffy little plush toy thing. Then obviously he grows and he has some different forms that he goes into. And then I mentioned the bear. Also, there's a, a coyote that has that has wings. And so it was mixing and matching animal parts and mythical creatures and just kind of throwing them all into the blender. And that's really one of the funnest things is as I'm writing this series coming up with, okay, I've got a new beast caller. Um, a, what does their companion look like, you know, and how is that influenced by what type of mana they use? And then also as you get stronger as a beast caller, the humans, um, some of them develop different physical attributes. So there's some that may sprout some wings, you know, um, kind of the running joke in book two that's not a spoiler is Kellen's like, you know, I, I hope I don't wake up and I have like a, a horn coming out of the middle of my head or something, right? So there's a lot of magical and physical changes that can occur with the humans in addition to their their uh, creature companions, the mana beasts. That could get awkward when it came to dating again. Poor guy. Um, so <laughs> um, have you got a plan on what's going to happen to him or do you let the story sort of flow? Like, do you know, like you're already picturing a unicorn horn popping out of his forehead or something? Um, I've got some ideas. I don't want to spoil it. And I also don't want to, you know, maybe raise expectations or dash them on either side of things. So like I said, I have a pretty good game plan for where I want the story to go. Um, and a few of the big twists that I have, a lot of it too is, um, just speaking generally, is playing on mythology and oral history and recorded history and just how events get misremembered or miscommunicated and how that impacts things when, um, you know, mythology is real, right? It's not just a case of over a thousand years this story got twisted. It's a case of over a thousand years this, <clears throat> this story got twisted, but oh, like there are actual gods and demigods in this world and um, getting the story twisted is going to have a real impact for the mortals that live here. Okay, so clearly this interview is winding down. We went a little bit long, but we were having fun. Nick and I both lost track of the questions a few times because we we're just enjoying the show, uh, which is always a good sign. But uh, was there anything we didn't ask you about Beastmaster, or excuse me, Beastmaster, Beast Mage, that you want to tell us before we, uh, before we wrap this show up? No, I think we covered it. Again, if you love Avatar The Last Airbender, um, not so much James Cameron's Avatar, though if you liked it, you might like this too. I mean, there's crossover there, but... If you're an Avatar The Last Airbender fan, um, if you're a Digimon or Pokemon fan or anyone from that realm, or you just like really cool magic systems and maybe a non-traditional uh, epic fantasy setting, you know, I, I really think you'd like this book. If you love audiobooks, definitely do yourself a favor and check it out. Travis Baldry is an amazing narrator. And yeah, you again, we already mentioned you can check out all of my books at DerekAllenSitaway.com. Right now, that's exclusively where the Mana Beast series is being sold. I'll probably have a launch uh, later on at the very end of this year to bring this to Amazon. But 
but right now it was kind of a side experiment to to make mana beasts a, a direct only thing so uh to get it directly for me and you know i appreciate the support for that for anyone that's willing to do that and go outside of the norms there and yeah i hope you'll check this out or some of my other books out and if you've already read some of my stuff just want to give you a thank you for your support and um yeah you you're awesome that's what i do this for us for the readers all right. Well, we appreciate that. And uh, we'll definitely have to make sure those links are in the show notes. So scroll down, dear listener, and you will find what you seek. Um, and so uh, before we wrap this up, I would like to remind you to please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. Your reviews help the right readers find the right book. So do your part, people. Now, do you have a functionality on your website where people can review it there? It is on Goodreads. So I would point people... You know, I would absolutely love for you to go on Goodreads and leave a review there. And then as I launch on, you know, Amazon, Kobo, Barnes & Noble, some of the main platforms, again, closer to the end of this year, of course, any reviews anywhere are appreciated. Or if that's even just you telling a friend or a family member or someone on the street randomly who you think might enjoy some of the things I talked about with Beast Mage, um, that's just as good as a review for me, just pointing someone else to the book that might like it. All right. And as we bring this puppy to a close, Derek, can you tell listeners how they can find you? And we'll link yes, that all in the show notes. Me, um, you can find me at DerekAllenSidaway.com. Or if that's too long, you can also find me at the same website at DSIDDDSID.com, a little bit shorter. And you can see all my books and series there, uh, including the ones I've co-written with Katie Cross or another, the Gin Tamer series, which I co-wrote with AJ Serna, as well as all my individual books. Um, you can find my email there, Discord, plenty of ways to get in touch. I have a text line that I have a text community for. So I'd love to hear from you, however you want to reach out. And yeah, let's let's chat. All right. And you can find us, dear listener, on the wild, wild interwebs. And let me tell you where we are. We are over on the Twitters at twitter.com backslash SF underscore fantasy underscore show. Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email us at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. Again, blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook where all the shenanigans happen at facebook.com backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast. Again, backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast. We have a Facebook page where all the shenanigans happen. We post book reviews our episodes and all the cool things. So check that out. We don't have a dedicated URL yet, but we're working on it. Um, Doc's just been a little bit busy. You know, they don't want her to blow the lab up. So they kind of like it when she plays attention there. Weird how that works. Nick and I liked our job. They didn't care when we blew stuff up, but apparently I wanted a T-Virus. Right. She failed us when she didn't give us that, but we have a website at anchor.f. I know, right? Website at w. A website at anchor.fm backslash blasters tack and tack blades again. Anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades. Wherefore, as little as ninety nine cents a month, you can help support the show and help keep the lights on. These episodes aren't free to produce, and we appreciate every ounce of uh, your funds that go towards that. We appreciate it. It's a labor of love for us. So we, we're we glad when you join in on that party. But uh, you could also support the show more directly at buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley. Again, buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley. Be sure to put it in the comment section that it's for the podcast. And I promise I will keep my co-host uh, Nick Garber and Doc Seska 
duly caffeinated. They will drink until their liver surrenders. And you know what? We really should find a coffee company to sponsor us because we all go through like a pot a day. One pot? Those are you think we could, numbers, we could do that? Like, you got, you got to get those numbers up, bro. <laughs> I mean, pots, we can't all minimum. be cool like you. We have livers we don't want to lose. So It's a liver. It grows All right. Bad. Well, we appreciate you coming. Oh, that's true. Anyway, we do appreciate you coming back, Derek. Uh, thank you for spending some of your precious time with us, dear listener, dear viewer. For Nick Garber and Doc Saska, I am J.R. Hanley, and this was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom. And that's a